Hey guys, this is the Mosaic Podcast and I want to welcome you. But I want to let you know that MSC just released a new album called Heaven. Seven brand new songs that express the heart of our community, our heart of worship, and are going to absolutely inspire you and make an impact on your life. Mosaic MSC, Heaven. So if you just joined us, we began a series uh, around the book Chasing Daylight. And we've been unwrapping the dynamics of individuals who seem to have this uncanny ability to seize defining moments in their life, to seize maybe even divine moments. Because one of the amazing things about life, and you'll see this as you live longer and longer, is that you will be in the exact same moment with someone else and have very different momentum come out of that moment. Which is why we've been diving into this particular moment in the scriptures. It's a moment where Saul was king of Israel and Jonathan was his son. And they were facing incredible odds. They, they had an army of just a few hundred going to war against the Philistines with tens of thousands. And they only had two swords and, and the Philistines had horses and chariots and warriors and weapons. And in every practical, reasonable measure, Israel had no chance So Saul was not in any way motivated to pick a fight. So he just decided to pull back and and, and avoid the future that was waiting for him. But Jonathan, his son, got up in the middle of the night and he decided to wake up the one person that was, in a sense, obligated to him. And he went off and he picked a fight. So I want to read here in 1 Samuel 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozeth, the other Senech. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Giva. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. It's that last statement of Jonathan that I want us to focus on in these moments that we have together. Because there's this almost conflicting declaration that Jonathan makes here that I I think actually explains for so many of us why faith doesn't always seem to work. Because if you've ever felt almost a little bit of turmoil that you believe and you have faith, But it just never works out the way you believed it would if you had faith. And it's because there's almost two sides to this faith journey. And the first part is in the second part of the statement. He says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I love that statement. It's such a a great declaration of of who God is. What Jonathan is saying is, look, I know who God is, and I know that God is all-powerful, and he can do whatever he wants to. It doesn't really require a lot for God to get things done. And so he says... To his armor bearers, he's trying to motivate him. This is the, the Braveheart moment, the, the gladiator moment. This is this epic moment where you're trying to, to inspire and compel a person to find all their courage and their heroic self. And he says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And that statement should create some sense of faith and courage inside of us. Because what he's actually saying is, God doesn't need much of you. He doesn't need much at all. In fact, If you're complaining, and if you think that you're not living out the life you created to live because you're under-resourced or under-skilled or under-talented or under-educated, see, if you think you've not lived the life that you're created to live because you don't have enough, I want you to realize there's someone doing more than you with less than you. He says, whether we're many or by few, we know this about God, but that's not really where I want us to focus because that's where everybody focuses. 
Those are the statements that we, we pull out of the scriptures and we focus on because they're the ones that actually inspire us, encourage us, reaffirm us, and give us a sense of security. It's what he said right before that that's really important. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. That's not as inspiring. That, that's not a, a William Wallace or Maximus statement. That's not a statement that would provoke you to have greater courage, greater confidence, greater faith. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Now, I think the word perhaps is a little too Shakespearean for us, so we don't really understand what it means. What he's actually saying is, let's go pick a fight, 10,000 to one. Maybe God will help. I love this. This is so beautiful. And if you're going to live the life that God created you to live, if you're going to step into that, that dynamic of faith, you're going to have to know something about life and something about yourself. You have to know that you don't know. Because what so oftentimes we've been told is if we have faith, it eliminates all the uncertainty in life. But the reality is that faith does not eliminate the uncertainty in your life. Faith actually accentuates the uncertainty in your life. That if you live a life of faith, you will move away from the certainty and you will move into the uncertainty. Which is actually what very few of us expect from God. And what very few of us actually want from God. We wouldn't really say this out loud, but I think a huge part of us, we want God to make life just a little bit more predictable. Just a little easier. Just a little more comfortable. We want, we want God to be that, that fail-safe. You have faith, so now you have that fail-safe. You can't fail. And that's the way I, I often heard it. If you have faith, you can't fail. And so what's actually happened is that we have taken the word faith and made it equivalent with safe. When the word faith is actually more synonymous with the word Danger. See, faith isn't the same as certainty. Faith moves us into uncertainty. We can know. We should know who God is. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. We should know that God is actually all-powerful and all-loving, that God is always moving toward you with good. That's always God's intention toward you. But you, gotta, you have to be more honest about real life. You gotta know that you don't know. I was talking to one of our... our, our um, Amazing young leaders here, Laura, and she's a new follower of Christ. She's new to faith. This is all new for her. She's an Aussie, and 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 she came up to me and said, "Hey, I'm starting this group. You know, I'm starting a crew, and I'm inviting people, but I'm really nervous because I don't really know much about God or the Bible or all. This is all new for me. What about if they start asking me questions? I don't know the answers to." I said, "Oh, I have the answer for every question. You want it? Here's the answer for every question. I don't know." And when I said that, she just lit up. She goes, I'm allowed to say that? <laughs> Not only are you allowed to say it, you need to say it. Because here's the part of the problem. You see, I think a lot of us have confused faith with right. Just because you have faith doesn't mean you're right. Just because you have faith doesn't mean you know. In fact, you need to know that you don't know. Because if you think that you know, you're the only person who thinks you know. See, everyone who knows you, knows you don't know. They just don't understand how you don't know you don't know. So you ought to just release that huge obligation and responsibility to pretend that you know. Just because you know God doesn't mean you know anything else. You may be wrong about everything. And still be right about him. But just because you come to know God, doesn't mean suddenly you know everything. Just own it. You're just as stupid the day after as you were the day before. <laughs> See, I, I, I think somewhere along the way, we tried to make faith something it was never intended to be. And, and straight up, I don't want faith to be that. See, if faith makes life safe, I'm out. Because frankly, I find safe incredibly boring. I think certainty is painfully mundane. If you know everything that's going on in your life, 
You don't want your life. You may pretend you want your life, but if everything in your life is predictable, if everything in your life is under your control, your life is way too small. And so I think part of it is to realize that they're, they're almost like different layers of faith. And, and in, in the book, in the chapter of un, un, uncertainty, I talk about level one and level two faith, but I, but I want to talk about a pre-level faith first. It's sort of like the prequel, like Star Wars. And you didn't know it was there. It came later. But it was before. See, before we can talk about level one, level two faith, I need to talk about like pre-level faith. Because for a lot of us, our huge step of faith, our huge leap of faith, our decision to cross that faith is really about belief. And faith is actually more synonymous with belief. You didn't believe in God, and now you do. You didn't believe in Jesus, and now you do. You didn't believe, but now you believe. And, and this has taken so much faith. For some of you, believing is such a huge leap of faith. It has almost been traumatic for you. And I think a part of that is that it takes a huge leap of faith to believe in unconditional love. See, all the other stuff about God, that's, just, that's, that's bigger. That's bigger than all of us. Because if we could explain God, he would not be God. If we could understand God, he would not be God. So stop trying to figure God out completely. And maybe just let God help you figure you out. See, because a part of the dynamic in this is that the reason it's so hard to trust God is that God is not like us in all the best ways. And so God loves us with an unconditional love. But most of us actually don't want unconditional love. We want conditional love. We just want the person to say we meet the condition. Kim and I were first married about 35 years ago. Honey, do you remember this conversation? When you said to me one day, you looked at me with your just beautiful blue eyes, and, and you said, why do you love me? Now, men, never answer that question, okay? It's a trap. There is no right answer here, okay? Because whatever you say, she'll hear what you did not say. So when Kim said, why do you love me? I said, I was trying to be like Jesus. I was new at this. I was just learning about unconditional love. And I said, I love you for no reason at all. She goes, oh, you love me for no reason at all. And I, I said, I, and what I mean is I, I, there's no reason that I love you. Oh, so there's no reason. She goes, it's good to know. It's good to know that there's no reason to love me. It's just, it's good to know that there's nothing about me that makes you love me. And I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to say that I love you unconditionally. She did not want unconditional love. She wanted conditional love, which I actually have, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> because that's the love we know. That's the love we're comfortable with. But we're really uncomfortable with someone saying, I love you without conditions because if there were conditions, you would not meet the conditions. Wow. I think for so many of us, that first, that first layer of faith is about belief. Can you cross the line of faith and believe that God is good? That God is for you? That he sees you, that you matter? See, I, I, I think this line of belief is not simply belief about who God is, but it's actually a change of belief in who you are. It's, it's, it's huge. When you cross the line of faith, you go, all right, I don't care what anyone else says. I don't even care what I think about myself. I don't care what all the evidence of my past says. What God actually says about me is he created me in his image, and I'm worthy of his love, and that's for some reason... He has stepped into human history on my behalf and he gave his life so I can live. So I'm going to step into that belief. But that's just level one. You're going to struggle with that because if that's your faith struggle, it's going to feel overwhelming. But there's, there's, that's, the, that's the prequel. That's pre-level one faith. And then there's level one faith. And level one faith is faith in the realm of possibilities. 
It, it's faith in the realm of certainty. It's, it's faith in the realm of everything you can see and touch. It's faith in the realm of real life. And most of that journey of faith is internal. It's about your character. And if layer one of faith is about belief, layer two is about trust. And we use the word faith, but it's actually trust that we're struggling with. Can I trust God with my life? I mean, honestly, a lot of times, doesn't it feel like God just doesn't really know what's going on? Because, you know, he's really old school. It's been around a long time, and the world has really changed since Adam and Eve, and is he keeping up with all the changes, and does he really know how real life works? You ever feel frustrated because you're trying to have faith in God, but your life isn't working out, and you're going, I'm having faith, God, and it's not working because someone told you that faith was going to give you the defining advantage. In fact, that's the way I hear a lot of times. It's almost like faith is like a, 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 a self-help ingredient. If you have faith, then you get a leg up. Then you're more powerful. Then you're more confident. Then you're able to get the job, get the girl, get the dream. But frankly, this level of faith is actually an incredibly subversive. It ruins your life. I'm just going to be straight up. If you step into this faith, you're going to feel like the tortoise in the race of hares. Because if you accept this level of faith, you're going to have to trust God that who you're becoming is more important than what you're accomplishing. That who you are is more important than what you do. And you're going to get frustrated because God's going to say, no, we're going to deal with you. And you go, no! Life is passing me by, God. I need faith to excel. I need faith to perform. I need faith to win. And God's like, just let them run. I, I just need you to have faith to trust that who you are is the key to living life well and living it fully. Like, for instance, in this level one faith, God cares about your dating life. And you have to trust him. See, there's some of you just having a hard time trusting God to bring the right person into your life. So you trust the internet. Hmm. Because you don't trust God. Because how are you going to find the right person? And here's the crazy thing. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and you're worried he can't get you and the right person together. By the way, even without God, there are 7 billion people on this planet. Half of them are the opposite sex. Don't you think a guy can work with those odds? But the problem is that, that we keep trying to find the right person. God says, no, you need to become the right person. And if... Here's the dilemma. If you're trying to find the right person but not become the right person, you're not the right person. And so when the right person comes along, they won't pick you. They won't choose you because you're not the right person. And so you need to become the right person so the right person sees the right person. And by the way, sometimes you're so afraid that you won't find the right person because you're not committed to becoming the right person that you're dating the wrong person. Because you are the wrong person. And we always talk about someone else being the wrong person, but about, how about taking some ownership? Say, maybe the only reason the wrong person is attracted to you is because you're still the wrong person. And by the way, if you're dating the wrong person, you're dating someone else's right person. And that guy's out there going, God, where is she? And God's like, well, she's dating that guy right over there. Because she's not the right person yet. So I'm working on her, and I'm working on you, and you have to trust. See, this is, this is just level one faith. This is just entry-level faith. Trusting God in the possible, in real life, in the realm of certainty, in the stuff you can see and touch and feel. And, and it's, it's hard because trusting God with your life is terrifying. 
to trust God with your career. I, I think this is where it's really frustrating. Have you noticed that having faith does not help you in career advancement? Everybody says it does, but I'm telling you, the guys with the white hats get killed early. I know that you're not supposed to hear that. I'm supposed to tell you, your faith is going to give you the promotion. No, it's, it's, it's the other guy cutting corners. It's the guy who's lacking integrity, who doesn't care about ethics. He's going to get there faster than you. And it's going to frustrate you. It's going to make you so mad. You're going to be going, God, what's the deal? And he'll say, that's the price of faith. What do you want more? I have a friend I've known for many, many years. He's from another country. He was a world-class cyclist, like Tour de France. And he was also a pastor of a huge church. Really tremendously gifted leader. And I was talking to him about cycling. And it was before we knew about Lance Armstrong. It was when we thought he was clean or when we pretended he was clean. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember asking him about Lance Armstrong and all these other guys and, 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 you know, the ones that were not doping. And he said, oh, no, they're all doping. I said, how do you know? He goes, they're all doping. I'm telling you, I'm a cyclist. They all dope. I said, why? And he goes, because it's impossible to compete at a world-class level if you don't cheat. Because they're all doping. And then he said, not only that, but one of the processes that, that is used is you take your blood out of your body, they pour oxygen into it, then they put it back into your body. And he said, and, and in the races, they have people who meet you along the way, and they actually help you cheat in the middle of the race so you can get up the next day. And they know how to avoid the testing. And, and he, was, he was so specific. And I, and I said to him, well, then how can you compete on a world-class level and not cheat? He goes, oh, no, I cheat. <laughs> I said, well, when you say you cheat, he goes, yeah, no, I don't. When you say you don't, yeah, I do, the whole, I do it all. I do the blood out of my body, oxygen stuff. I, I, I do all the antibiotic steroids. I do everything they do because you can't compete on a world-class level if you don't do it. And then it occurred to me, this is the dilemma of faith. That in level one faith, you have to decide that some things are not as important as the person you're created to be. And that sometimes you won't get to cross the finish line in front of the guy who cheated or the person who didn't have the same ethics as you. And that's why level one faith is so hard to live out because no one else feels the obligation to live out that faith. Do you? But then there's this second level of faith. And that's the faith I really want to talk to you about. Oh, this was just the prequel. This is just the origin story of faith. Because God wants you to trust him in everyday life. But there's this, this next level of faith. It's almost understated to call it level two faith. This is not living in the realm of possibilities. It's in the realm of impossibilities. This is not living in the realm of certainty. It's really living in the realm of uncertainty. This is the realm where you no longer live a life hoping your faith will make you fail safe. But you know that your faith will make you dangerous. You begin living in mystery, in adventure. You begin to live your life knowing you don't know. It's so liberating. Maybe the Lord will act on our behalf. I love this. I, I, I have a grandmother. Well, she passed away, but my grandmother was Roman Catholic. And when I was a little boy, she gave me a St. Christopher. And she said to me, you need to wear your St. Christopher because he's the patron saint of travel. And I was traveling from El Salvador to Miami, going back and forth. And so as a little boy, I had my patron saint of travel. And I lost it on one of my travels. And uh, I think he's fine, though. But I realized that Christopher was close to the right patron saint for me, but he's really not. It's Jonathan. See, Jonathan is my patron saint. I, I made him up. I mean, after all, who gets to choose saints? So he's my saint. 
because he's the patron saint of uncertainty. See, Jonathan is the saint of, I don't know. I think it's a good idea. I think we should try it. We might all die. Anybody in? See, I love this guy. I love this guy. He says, it's 10,000 to one. My father has the army and he's terrified to go. Let's go and pick a fight. See, I think in life you had to get up in the morning and pick a fight. You need to get up in the morning and do something that matters. You need to get up in the morning and do something bigger than yourself. You go, wow, I sure hope God shows up. Because this is going to go really bad if he doesn't. When we were first dreaming about this community, we were way on the east side and trying to lead this small group of leaders to this side of the city. And there's maybe a hundred of us in the room. And I was reading from this very same, very same story. And then one of the guys stood up. He's an engineer married to an engineer. I don't know what their marriage is like, (laughs) but it's precise. (laughs) <laughs> you like that, didn't you? Engineering jokes are really big with children. <laughs> and you ever had someone try to help you, but they were really not helping you? He stood up and said, just tell us that God's going to do it, and we'll follow you. I can feel all this like turmoil inside of me. All I have to do is say, God's going to do this, or God said to do this, or just God. <laughs> but I couldn't get it out. I wanted to. I wanted to lie so badly. Because I know sometimes Christians need lies to give them the courage to live their lives. <laughs> and I just said, I don't know. I think we have to do this. I think it's really important. I think someone should do it. I think if we don't do it, we should pray that God gives somebody the courage to do it. And then I gave him this image that I thought was compelling. I said, what I'm asking you to do is to go forward in this great challenge. And maybe we'll all die bleeding in the streets. But the, the, the marks of our skin and blood will point into the future that the rest of humanity needs to go to. It didn't go well. It didn't go well. They did, they did not cheer and say, we're with you. And, uh, and that night, Kim and I had a conversation. And Kim's always coaching me and trying to help me be a better leader, better human, better husband, better person. Did I cover all the arenas? And, uh, <laughs> and she said, you need to stop. I said, stop what? She said, stop telling people you don't know. Do you remember this? She does, she said many times. Because you need to stop telling people you don't know. They're, they, they don't have confidence in your leadership because you, you just tell them you don't know. And I said, but I don't know. She goes, do you know how many times you say that? Could you just say it less? So I, I don't know how many times I've said it. And, and she goes, you just need to stop it. And I, see, my problem is I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in religion. I didn't grow up in our faith. So I'm not comfortable using the name of God to manipulate people to do something that might bring us all tremendous failure. Um, I'd rather just say, somebody should do this. Why not us? Maybe it's going to cost us everything. Maybe it's going to cost us our reputation. Maybe it's going to cost us our lives. Maybe it's going to cost us so much that it's more than we ever expected. But you see, if you live your life doing something you know must be done, does it really matter whether you succeed or fail? See, I want to live my life for something that even if I failed, I would always know it was worth that failure. Because people are succeeding for things that are not worth their lives every day. I think God is looking for women and men who just step up and say, no one's volunteering God, so I'm in. Someone needs to do this, so I'm in. No one seems to have the courage, so I'm in. See, there's no place in this story 
where God speaks to Jonathan and says, go do this. See, I think a lot of times we abdicate responsibility because God hasn't told us to do it. But then you see the good that needs to be done. You see the pain and the struggle in the world. You you see people hurting and broken, and somehow that's not enough to compel you to act. There's something beautiful when you move into uncertainty. You begin to live in this mysterious, beautiful space of the invisible. And and by the way, you you ever feel anxious about your life? Your anxiety is the marker of the boundary of your faith. See, the moment you hit your faith limit, you start feeling stressed. The moment you hit your faith limit, you feel anxious. The moment you hit your faith limit, you start having a hard time breathing. And that's where you need to step across the line. Because everything that doesn't shake you up isn't level two faith. And that's the wonder of it. You see, the reason you feel anxious, the reason you feel stressed, the reason you get all paralyzed inside is because you're finally at the place where your life is out of your control. And as long as your life is in your control, it's not in God's control. And if your life is in your control, it's a really, really small life. And you ought to just cash it in for a bigger life. Because any life that you or me can control, it's not worth living. It's the life that's bigger than us that compels us. It was a strange morning. Kim and I were living in Dallas, and I woke up to a phone call. It was a phone call from one of my sisters, and it was a sister that really rarely calls, and, and she's not intrusive in, in anything, and but that day she called me up, and it was so unexpected, and she woke me up, and of course everybody always asks, were you asleep? And we always lie. I say, no, no, I've been awake for three seconds. You know, and I say, yeah, you woke me up. And, and then she had this, this intensity in her voice. She goes, what are you doing today? Which was a really odd question on this odd day. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, what are you doing today? Are you doing anything different today that you normally don't do? I said, well, I'm working. She says, yeah, but is there anything you're doing today that you would normally do? I said, well, I'm getting on a plane and I'm flying to Las Vegas today to speak at a convention. And she goes, don't get on the plane. She said, I had a dream last night that you were killed. Don't get on that plane. You're going to die on the plane if you get on the plane. It's great talking to you. (laughs) And she hung up. And I'm lying in bed, psychologically traumatized. (laughs) Going, wow. I hope she doesn't call more often. And, uh, and, and, and then I looked at Kim, and Kim is like my anchor. Kim, she, she, we're married, but she does not have my genetic family momentum. And uh, so she's like my anchor. She's our emotional strength. She's our rock. She's our oak. And, and I, I looked to Kim to help me with my own insanity, my family's insanity. And, and I looked at Kim, and she goes, what happened? I said, it's my sister. She said that she had a dream and that I was going to die today and not to get on the airplane. And Kim looked at me. She goes, well, you know, a couple of nights ago, I woke up in the middle of the night just sobbing, and I never dream, but I woke up sobbing because I dreamed that you died. <laughs> that was not helpful. That The timing was terrible, and I wasn't looking for collaborating evidence, you know. And, uh, and, and so when she said that, I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a shower. You know, and pack, and, 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 and then a few hours later, my mom calls. And my mom begins the conversation by saying, have you talked to your brother Alex today? I said, no, mom, I haven't talked to Alex today. I said, why? You seem really concerned. Is everything okay? She goes, well, I had a dream last night. And in that dream, I couldn't tell if it was you or your brother, but one of you was killed. And I wanted to make sure Alex was Okay. I said, Mom, do you, do you know how, that, like, how that's coming across? You, you know? And she goes, well, I know you're okay. I'm talking to you. I said, yeah, but still, it's just it's how you say things that, you know, that leaves me in need of lifelong therapy. And, uh, and, and uh, 
So that was my day. Do I get on that plane? And then my other sister calls to confirm. And pretty much I have a whole family telling me, today you're going to die. So don't get on that plane because you're going to die on the plane. And then I, I talked to Kim. What should I do? Should I go? Should I go to Las Vegas? And here's the frustrating thing. They invited me to speak for four minutes. Four stupid minutes. Not even five. They couldn't round up the five. I was so insignificant to the event. They gave me four minutes. Like, I'm going to die for four stupid minutes. I wasn't really thrilled about that. And, 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 then, and then suddenly a blue northern came. And I don't know if you know weather patterns, but in Texas there's some violent storms that come. And a blue northern came. And it, the sky started turning black and blue. And then the rain started pouring. The thunder would shake the buildings. The lightning was, was fierce and threatening. It was like a dragon's mouth coming in my direction to consume me. I could see it coming. I said, honey, do you, do you think I should go? Do you think I should stay? And you know, she goes, well, you know, you... you you need to. You have to go. You're the guy who goes, and you know. And you live this life. You communicate this life. You know. You you should go. And I said, I know, but but would other would, would someone else go? Like you know. And I like should maybe I not go this time and stay? You know, because I'm not thinking of me. I'm thinking of leaving you husbandless, and you know, and uh, you know what would happen to our future children? And and so she took me to the airport. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And she kissed me goodbye, and I kissed her goodbye for the last time. <laughs> and I was a wreck, because the, the storm was shaking the airport, and the plane was delayed maybe a couple of hours. And, and you ever had too much time to think about death, or work, or a relationship, something you just need to get out of your head? And I was just going, do I get on the plane? Do I not get on the plane? What am I doing? Maybe God's like telling me, don't get on this plane. I'm trying to delay it so you don't get on the plane. But maybe if I don't get on the plane, that means I don't have any faith and they would just kill me right here. So I'm like, you know, what, what do I do? You know? and, and then as I was walking around the airport, I saw a machine. I'm telling you, there, that machine was never there before and it has never been there since. But it was there that day. There was a machine selling insurance, flight insurance. It was right there taunting me saying, you're going to die. I put this here for you. Get insurance that your family will be taken care of. But it only took cash. I don't know why. Maybe because you might die. And so it can't collect on a dead person's credit card. And so I I, I thought, okay, I'm going to go get cash. I went to an ATM. I got some cash. And I came back to the machine. And I almost put my money in to get that life insurance. But I thought, oh, it's a test. (laughs) It's a test. It's a test. if I put the money in the life insurance, God's going to kill me because I don't have enough faith, okay? Or it could be God saying, take care of your family. You need to be faithful and you need to be responsible. And so, so, I, so I, 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 I didn't. And then I walked away and then I kind of came back and, and I almost did it and I walked away. And I could think, is, do I do it? Do I not do it? God, is it? Which way is it? And, and then they changed gates. So I went to the other gate, away from the insurance machine. I did not get insurance. And then as I saw the plane boarding, I saw this famous preacher getting on the plane. Well, he was in line. I didn't know him, but I knew about him. So I went up to him and I said, are you on this flight? He goes, yes. I thought, oh, good. <laughs> I thought, like, I said, God won't kill him. Like, you know, because like, I'm like. I'm like a bug, you know. I mean, I am incidental to human history, but God won't kill him. Later, I discovered he was living a really dark life. And I had a higher chance of being killed on that plane than not. And, uh, and then I got on the plane. And I was terrified and angry. I'm going to die today. I, don't, I, I didn't need people dreaming it up. I don't need phone calls letting me know you're going to die today. And on top of all that, I'm dying for four minutes. This is such a waste of a life. Four minutes. Have you ever just been so anxious that you just open the Bible? Like, God, just like speak to me. So I had this Bible and I just opened it right in the middle. Don't do that. Because if you open it right in the middle, it's in the minor prophets and they're all in a bad mood. Every one of them are just angry about life and just. 
I opened up, and I think it was like verse 4, chapter 11. And I, I just looked down. I said, God, just speak to me. And this is what I read. Because you've done these things, prepare to meet your God. And when I read that, I just wanted to start screaming uncontrollably in the plane. I just wanted to go, ah, we're going to die. We're going to die. But I, I'm, I'm more introverted, so I just kept it all inside. I thought, all these poor people are going to die because I'm on this plane for four stupid minutes. I thought, the moment that seatbelt light goes off, I'm running up to this guy. And I'm going to tell him, you need to pray because we're going to die. And God will listen to you. So for, your, for our sake, pray that God would keep us alive. But that belt light stayed on so long. And I finally just turned the page of the scriptures of chapter 5. And this is what it said. It said, do not seek Gilgal. Do not turn to Bethel. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and you shall live. And it was as if in that moment God was inciting a conversation with me that I wasn't ready for until I was in this uncertainty. Until I had been pushed out of the possible into the impossible. And it was so clear to me. You're angry because your life is being in danger for four minutes. But what about if I exchanged a lifetime of existence for four minutes with God? It was as if God said, what would four minutes with me be worth to you? Would it be worth everything? And something inside of me just awakened in that moment. And I was flying to Las Vegas knowing I was going to get four minutes. I didn't know if I was going to get any minutes past that. I just knew I'd have four minutes where God promised to meet me in that moment in the realm of the impossible. And strangely enough, when we landed in Las Vegas, our plane blew a tire and tilted to the left. And people started screaming and stuff started flying. And I was so calm. Because I knew I might die on the way back. But I'm not dying until I have those four minutes. And a lot of times I tell a story and then people get really upset with me because I forget to finish them. So I want to be really clear. I want to give you the end of the story. I didn't die that day. (laughs) But a part of the story you may miss is that I came to life. See, just because you didn't die today doesn't mean you came to life. I think we spend way too much time trying to avoid death and far too little time trying to make sure we live. So are you alive today? Have you stepped into the moments God has for you? Have you seized those defining divine moments? See, the, the, the wonder of divine moments is that it's not the material in the moment that causes this eruption of the eternal. It's what's inside of you and what you bring to that moment that changes everything. So, I have an invitation for you. Come, let's go. Now, what I know about God is nothing can stop God from saving. Nothing can stop God from being God. Whether there's a lot of us or a few of us, whether we have a lot of things or just a few things, whether we feel like we're, we're over-resourced or under-resourced, I'm telling you, nothing can stop God from fulfilling his intention in your life. But, but you may never step into that until you decide, I'm going. I'm going to step out. I'm going to go through to the point of no return. I'm going to get to the place where God needs me to be, where God needs someone to be. 
Because there's so much that's on God's heart. And there's so much that needs to be done in this world. There's so much good that God is waiting for someone to care enough about, to take it on themselves. And stop using God as an excuse. I just don't know if God wants me to do that. I just don't know what God's will for my life is. I just don't know if that's me. Well, then if you don't know, then make it you. And maybe, just maybe, God will show up. It's strange. Don't expect him to show up. Don't expect him to show up until you show up. And when you show up, that's when you begin living by faith. You begin living on the impossible. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? Just close your eyes. I think everyone here has a layer of faith in their life and a level of faith you need to step into. Maybe you're here and you need to move into this opening phase of faith where you believe. There was a guy named Thomas who didn't show up when Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't see Jesus after his resurrection. He said, I won't believe unless I see the wounds, the scars at his hands or his feet. The next week he shows up. Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, go ahead, put your hand in my wound. Put your hand in my side. And Thomas just cries out, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says something interesting. Blessed are you because you believe. Or you believe because you've seen. You believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. If you're here right now, Jesus is here in this moment. God is waiting for you. He's already showed up for you. Jesus already gave his life for you, waiting for you to give your life to him. And maybe it's time to cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to let you guide me and pull me into a life beyond me, bigger than me, more beautiful than me, more than I could ever hope or imagine. And if you're here and you want this life of faith, I'm telling you, it's an adventure fraught with danger. It's not a safe place. It's a dangerous place because you're fully alive. If you're here and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a simple prayer where you can cross the line of faith and give your life to him. Here it is. One sentence. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it, right now. Just take that step across the line. And just whisper to him right now, Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life right now. Just declare it. Jesus, I give you my life. If you're here and you just cross that line of faith, if you're here and you just prayed that simple prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. What I want you to do now is I want you to put action to your confession. Because faith is not supposed to be a noun, it's supposed to be a verb. It's not simply about what you come to believe, it's what you come to live. And so if you're here and you prayed this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I want to pray for you. But I want you to put action right now to that prayer. And I want you to raise your hand high and say, yes, I just prayed this prayer right now, just hold it up high. Don't wait, don't hesitate. This is your act of faith right now. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Just hold your hand up high so I can see you right now. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All over the room. Anyone else right now? Jesus, I give you my life. This is your moment. Right now, just just take that step across the line of faith. Right now, Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else right now? So beautiful. Father, I thank you. I thank you for each woman and man that in this moment has opened up their life to you and given their lives to you. And God, I just pray that right now they would know that you have come to dwell in them, that they belong to you, that you will never leave them or abandon them, that you have just poured your life into them, that today is the beginning of new things. God, I'm so grateful that when we know you, 
It's so easy to live knowing we don't know. Because we don't have to know all the answers. We learn how to, how to live and thrive in the uncertain. Because we've learned to trust you with our lives. I thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for all those who just responded to him? So good. So beautiful. Now, guys, there's all these different layers and layers and layers of faith that God will take you on. And there's some of you here, you've been believing, but you need to move, trusting God. And there's some of you who have been trusting God, but you need God to transform you so you can live in the impossible, so you can become proof of God. Nothing harder to explain than a person whose life is bigger than themselves. Nothing more beautiful than people look at your life and go, what happened to you? You go, well, you know, a strange thing happened on my way to my grave. I found life and it changed me forever. So I want to encourage you this week to be proof of life in other people's lives. Wake up in the morning, hit that alarm clock, and remember there are moments waiting for you to step into. Don't miss them. People are desperately searching, hoping that what God has to offer is real. And the only way they'll ever know it's real is by seeing it in us. So man, let's live in uncertainty. I'm good with it. I know that I don't know. But I'm going to step out and live a life I can't explain. And just maybe, maybe, just maybe, God might actually help and do something so big that our lives become unexplainable. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply into your soul. To allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.